0: If you wanted to build a portfolio that exceeded the returns of what you would get in the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones, And one way that he can do it is not just buy these large companies, but also place an emphasis to some degree on the small company stocks, on value stocks, and high profitability stocks.
1: That's Apollo Lupescu from Dimensional Fund Advisors. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, he explains why size, price, and profitability of a company matter when looking at risk and expected returns. In this packed interview, Apollo also talks about why the latest from President Trump should not affect our investing choices, how diversification can protect us from market downturn, and how our fear and greed have us tripping over our own portfolios. Also, the fellows answer your emails and phone calls on timing retirement and saving while pregnant. And Big Al's got six last-minute retirement strategies and some retirement tips for our younger selves. Now, here are Big Al Clopine CPA and a strong, tall, handsome guy that lives with his mother, Joe Anderson CFP.
2: Got a great show lined up, Alan. We super do. great show. I mean, there's so much content. I don't know how we can fit it all in, but we'll try. I came into the studio with one sheet of paper.
3: So it's, but, but it's your head. It's all the stuff in your head. We could be here all, all weekend. Yeah. I was kind of running a little late. A little bit late?
2: Yeah, a little bit. Well,
3: Joe, I've got some advice. Uh, yeah, from, for your younger self. Yeah. For so your, let's
2: say if you went back in time, Alan. Yeah. yeah. You know, have you ever heard those like, Stupid questions. If what would you say to a younger Alan Colpine?
3: Yeah, and as a matter of fact, I have an article here written by Jill Cornfield about retirement tips for my younger self. Ooh. So um, and let's let's I'm gonna let's you and I see if this is what we want to tell our younger self.
2: All right. I am still very young, so not that young.
3: <laughs> I'm talking about twenty year olds. Oh, you're in your forties. Right. Okay. I just turned sixty. Oh my goodness! All right, so. Um, so she here's how she starts this article. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's there's there's many things about money I wish a wiser person had told me when I was younger. Now I hope to be that person for you. So I guess that implies that she's now wise. Okay, okay. So see we're, how we're wise going she with that is. premise. All right. yeah. <laughs> okay. So here's some tips. Um, you'll regret not saving. Okay. Oh, because um, you were, really you, you, this you, is
2: earth shattering. I'm telling you. If it's, I could uh, go back in time. Yeah, when you start- Would you save a couple extra bucks? Hell no. Nope. I'd still spend it all on beer. Because she, <laughs> she, she says you will get uh,
3: older and you will want money for retirement. If you start saving young, you don't have to do it quite as aggressively because of compounding um, of growth and interest uh, over many decades. So that's her first suggestion. Now okay, that's, all right. So let's just say- Yeah, let, let's unpack that because, the, I mean- uh, We all know we're supposed to, we should probably be saving when we're
2: three years old. And I I think I saved a dime, my first allowance. But yes, all right, all right. So let's say you and I go to a high school. Right. And we talk about compound interest. Yeah. Right. And then we follow that young group into college. And then we follow them into their first jobs. Right. Yes. I think. In today's world, we all should know. I mean, when I was in high school, I knew that I probably should save a couple of bucks. I think we all kind of get that, especially right? when we look at our parents. Did grandparents. your parents say, "Yeah, you know, you should save"? Yeah, have I heard that. I've heard that, yes, <laughs> and I'm sure my parents' parents heard that. So this isn't is an no. earth shattering. what you're saying <laughs> it's just very difficult to do. If you could tell me a way on how to do it, right, right, because there's it. We live in a society where I want things now. Right? yeah we,
3: we we do and because that,
2: retirement is 400 years from now and, and
3: right and you think about it so you graduate from college you got student debt so you want to pay that down you probably got some credit card debt just to just to buy meals to get yourself through college I right? was a
2: financial advisor when I was 23 years old okay right and I'm running calculations <laughs> and I know all about compound interest right, right? the power of that yeah. how much money do you think I was saving at 23? I'm assuming by
3: your tone, intonation, not very much. Nothing!
2: <laughs> Zero!
3: Now, me, on the other hand, I'm, um, I graduated a sociology major, but soon thereafter became an accountant uh, and got all my classes after college. And I actually was a saver from the very start. In fact, when I bought my first home at age 27, I had $13,000 saved, which at that time was... It was like a million. was a couple million. <laughs> if, I, if I do the inflation map. Because <laughs> I was born in 1714. <laughs> Something like that. Anyway, um, so the thing, <laughs> the thing is... And I, so I bought my first house. I had a down payment. It still wasn't enough for a down payment. Even back then, I had to borrow some money from my grandma and got, <laughs> got the first house. And, and I'm thinking, no problem. I mean, I, I save. That's, uh, actually, that's kind of how I'm programmed. Sure. And, but then I realized as I was dating, if I dated people like me, that would be a pretty boring life. <laughs> so I thought, i got to find someone more interesting than me. And you know what it turns out? People that are more interesting than me tend to spend more. Spend a little bit. Yeah, they, spend a little they get more. out of the box. They get out they get out, <laughs> out of the box. Vacation, you know, we could die tomorrow. Let's have fun. Right. So it's like, ooh, the, I'm not saving so much anymore. And so there's, but that's, I mean, that's real life. That's right? life. Yeah. Right.
2: I mean, textbook is, yes, of course. Okay. Save some money. So all of you listeners in your 20s, save. How many? Okay. I'm going to check in with you in five years. <laughs> Well, she also says it's
3: easier when you're to say when you're younger. Yes, I, I'm not so sure. I'm, she, she's used an example of like having your wisdom teeth removed. It's easier when you're younger. So I guess saving money—that's a correlation. <laughs> anyway,
2: why would that be easier when what?
3: Because well, be, it, because you develop your, good habits, I guess.
2: Your no, your wisdom teeth when you're—I'm not no, a why dentist. wisdom teeth. Because because you're, what, your gums haven't formed over the wisdom teeth yet, and it's going to hurt like hell when you're older? Probably, well, huh?
3: Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, had, I had mine out at 24. It still hurt like
2: hell. <laughs> I remember that, thinking, is this ever going to stop hurting? Uh, yeah, I know. I remember like kids in high school that got them, and then they, they looked like a, a Cabbage Patch kid. A <laughs> little Campbell's kid. Right? right? For a couple days. Yeah. No. All right. So all right. What, what, so what else? so what other saving s- um, words of wisdom. Does well. There's, there's, Cornhole. There's going, corn, <laughs> corn, cornfield.
3: Oh, although there is a cool game called Cornhole. You, you play that sometimes? Uh, yes, I do. I play. I it like all this that time. game. Yeah. yeah. I call it Bago. But Bago? Uh huh. Really? Okay. Right. Same. 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 Okay. Uh, let's see. Related to that is cool. Kids save. We're we're on a <laughs> we're on a roll here, aren't we? <laughs> Oh,
2: God, you got to be part of the cool kids? So yeah, cool kids they,
3: save. they save, right? Oh, all right. I'm not sure that's true, but <laughs> maybe when you're 65, then all of a sudden you're cool. <laughs> yes, exactly.
2: If I'm 65, I got a couple million bucks. I'm, I'm cool now. I'm definitely cool. I <laughs> way cooler <laughs> if I'm broke. Yes. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. <laughs>
3: uh, I guess there's a little bit on investing here to tell your 20-year-old self. Right. Um, or 23-year-old uh, self or whatever. i an index fund. Yeah, index funds are easy. Okay, and keep fees low. So, I mean, we're going simple here. But and then, uh, let's but see. it's
2: not the end all. Be you know this whole, you know, I, I, yeah, I understand that fees are a drag on the overall portfolio, right? But there's a lot more to investing than just the, the lowest fee. Yeah, like you can invest in a CD.
3: There's no fees there. Right. Or very mean, uh, very few. Sure. And yeah. but you won't earn anything.
2: Yeah. So you, you got to look at things a little bit differently. I mean, I think this. Anyway, I'll, I'll I'll go on a tangent that I probably shouldn't go down. Think hard before you buy.
3: That's actually a that's a that's a good. I one. do like that one. Yeah, and and here's here's why. Because we uh, you already brought it up. We sort of live in this culture where we want everything now, and we want and <laughs> we want to buy it now. We want to experience it now. And uh, I think it's sometimes if you can just say, "All right, I, I really want this now, but I'm going to wait a month and right. see if I still want it." Or after even a month. 24 hours. Right. At least, right, at least 20. You know, 24 <laughs> hours. If you can wait a week or two, or even a month, probably the longer you can wait, the more you realize, "Nah, I didn't really, I didn't really need that new surfboard. I already got six of them." Yeah. Right. 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 So I think that's I think that's a good one.
2: And and uh, no, because those impulse buys blows you up. You know, it, it, the internet is so good at that now. Oh, oh my God. Amazon? It's, it's so easy. It's crazy. You, know, you look up, hey, I need to get some new shoes. Yeah. Golf shoes, right? Yeah. And now every browser, I, every page I go on is like, oh, a new so pair of golf you shoes. Just, you just Google golf shoes and now
3: it's on everything. Everything I, everything I ever look shows at. shows up, right? Right. Until it, you buy. Until I then,
2: buy it. And then you buy
3: it and it says, would you like another pair? <laughs> right. Oh, <laughs> do you need golf balls to go with that?
2: <laughs> yeah, son That's of a bitch. Right. <laughs> yes, I do.
3: And, you know, I like to travel, and yeah. so I'm, I, get, I do a lot of airfare on, online, and, of course, you always get the follow-up, well, let's set up your hotel, yeah. let's set up your rental car, right. how about your activities? Yeah, if you need a convertible. Or you? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you, you do. Or even, how about this? It's like, you're thinking about going somewhere, and, uh, and you, you Google it and stuff, it, you know, go on to Kayak or Priceline price or whatever, and, and, and the next thing you know, you're getting emails, are you still thinking yeah. of going to Chile? <laughs> <laughs> There's still plane fares available. I'm getting those right now.
2: Book your flight tomorrow.
3: Because we're going in um, February. Really? Chile? Uh, yes, uh, Patagonia. Okay. We're going to be, I mean, we're going to whitewater raft, hike. Wow. Horseback ride. Oh, my God. Yeah, kayaking. It's going to be great. Oh, something else.
2: Oh, can't wait to
3: see your outfits. <laughs> we're... I walk on a glacier. (laughs) It's going to be awesome.
1: If you'd like some retirement tips for your current self, visit YourMoneyYourWealth.com to access white papers, articles, webinars, and hundreds of video clips on tax planning, investing, retirement planning, social security, estate planning, small business strategies, and much more. I would guess that just about any money question you have can be answered at YourMoneyYourWealth.com. But if by some small chance you need more help, you can always email us at info at or just pick up the phone and call. Eight 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 nine nine 99 goals. That's 888 994 6257.
2: Big Al, it's that time of the
3: show. It is. Very excited. In fact, when when we get to interview somebody that goes by one
2: name, that means they're quite important. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, we have Madonna who's going to talk a little bit about her financial track, too, <laughs> because we couldn't get Prince. Right. Uh, right. God bless his soul. Uh, but we do have Apollo. Apollo. Apollo, welcome to the show, my friend.
0: Well, thank you, guys. Uh, yeah, that's uh, first for me. Uh, but yes, I guess with a name like Apollo, <laughs> uh, you can go with that.
2: Let's, well, let's just start here. Let's give a brief introduction. Tell our listeners a little bit about your background, kind of what you do, how you do it, and then we'll kind of pick your brain on how to make our um, audience a better investor.
0: Uh, sure. So my name is uh, Apollo Lupesco. I do have a last name, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, and uh, I have been with uh, an investment firm called Dimensional Fund Advisors for the last uh, 13 or 14 years. And before that, uh, I received my uh, PhD from UC Santa Barbara, and uh, um, and before that, uh, uh, Michigan State. And I've been, you know, doing investing in one way or another for the last, uh, you know, 20 years or so. Uh, and uh, I've had a variety of roles, anywhere from um, uh, working with the retirement business to uh, being in the Dimensional uh, Investment Strategies group, uh, to being in this role where uh, more or less I try to educate uh, and try to shed light on a different way to, uh, to invest.
2: First question i got for you, because you're a very attractive man, I'm curious what kind of BIC do you use on your head?
0: <laughs> I actually use an electric razor. <laughs>
3: That's <laughs> the, the strangest 70. question we've ever <laughs> had on <I> guess <laughs>
2: What we gotta keep? We're just warming up here, Al. We gotta keep <laughs> uh, on script. I know,
3: but I thought we were gonna have a classy for at least a couple minutes.
0: It's radio, so it's probably worth mentioning to people that my my head looks like a, uh like a crystal ball, although I don't have one, <laughs> uh, but I do have a very shiny, shaved every day type of
2: head. <laughs> so you don't go with Harry's razor or anything like that, huh?
0: No, I, I I have this, uh, and I don't want to, you know, uh, uh, be an infomercial. But uh, there's a, a brand that I think it's uh, it's a it's a Dutch brand um, that makes these uh, very good razors, electric razors. And I haven't touched the, uh, an manual razor in a very long time. Yeah, you don't you don't get cut so I, much with the. I electric. cannot be trusted with those. I can anything that's sharp around me. It's not a good idea. All right,
3: so we are gonna be talking about shaving for the next uh, 20 well, minutes. Well, what the hell?
0: You know, you know.
2: We're just having fun. All right,
0: all right. Radio show. Anyhow.
2: Yes. Hey, all right. Well, let's 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 dive into the, the brass tacks here. There's a lot of right, so this year's been kind of unusual um, in regards to headlines. Um, you know, we, we started the year off with a president election. Um, and then I think most people were a little bit surprised, maybe not necessarily who got elected. Well, yeah, I would say a lot of people got surprised by who got elected, but maybe even more importantly, what the markets did after uh, President Trump got into office. What the heck is kind of going on with the overall markets?
0: Right, oh, and, and, and you mentioned the election, and uh, you know, maybe, maybe I'll start there for a second, uh, because um, you know, in talking to investors across the country, I've realized that, that uh, this particular election, probably a lot of others, but this one more so than, than, than before, it had a very deep uh, emotional impact on, uh, on individuals, because it touched on their core beliefs, it touched on their identity. And what I think it's important to do is disentangle that emotional part uh, from actual investment decisions. Uh, And and to your point, the market uh, did surprise a lot of people because uh, even before the election, as I surveyed investors uh, about what would they do if uh, Donald Trump uh, was elected, Uh, the majority of people that I surveyed would say they would sell. So even if they knew the outcome of the election, it turns out they wouldn't have been the right decision. So the market did surprise uh, a lot of people, and that's just the nature of the market. Uh, But I I don't believe that investors uh, should uh, buy or sell, in fact, trade in general in the market uh, because of politics or or, or current, current events. Uh, I think that that uh, the basis for for trade should be uh, a little bit more robust than than what happens on any given day in politics uh, or in in other current events.
2: Yeah, the market doesn't care, right? The the market is not Democrat or Republican. Uh, the Correct. market is a you know the market. So, but you, you know it's funny when you look at the surveys. Is that you know, if you're a Democrat and if a Republican gets in, then you have kind of more of a gloom look on the overall market. So you might trade against it. But if you're a Republican, you have more of a, a bullish look on the overall markets. Um, and again, I think that's just your emotion and personal beliefs going into you know, your investment strategies that probably shouldn't be you know, part of your investment decision.
0: Correct. I mean, I think that that this day and age, the basis of an investment decision should be a lot more based on uh, data, uh, should analyze the data and, and should, should really uh, make it about the, the evidence that you have. Uh, but what's interesting, in what you said, is that I noticed this across the country, um, that, that there is not a universal agreement among people that this is either good or bad. Uh, and there's a lot of disagreement, but the same disagreement uh, has been happening in the stock market for a very long time because in the stock market for every buyer, there has to be a seller. Uh, for every optimist, there has to be a pessimist. Otherwise, uh, people wouldn't trade at that particular price. So uh, there is this agreement, even within the, the, the market participants, about you know, what the direction is. Um, and that, 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 that disagreement is reflected in the price that you see. Uh, because the, 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 the market uh, is a mechanism that uh, – it's, it's like a machine that aggregates all this information and expectations about the future, and it does incorporate the optimist. It does incorporate the pessimist. And what you see at the end is, is that that price that is, that is reflective of, of both the optimist and the pessimist.
3: Yeah, let me ask you, Paulo, because I mean, so we talked about politics, but the economy, we've had kind of about an eight year bull run. And, and so some people get the sense that, gosh, maybe I should get out of the market now because it's at all time highs. And boy, interest rates are probably going to go up. So bonds will go down. I guess my question is where do you think we are in the economy right now? And, and, and should that matter or, or how should it matter in our investing?
0: Yeah, and that's one of the very common questions that we're seeing these days is that uh, people are looking and saying, we've had this this long run, uh, we've reached all-time highs, uh, and and perhaps we're in a bubble and this is not the right time to invest. Uh, should I be moving to cash? And, um, you know, my, my – um, The way that I look at it, there are two very distinct ways to protect yourself, because I think what investors are trying to do is protect themselves uh, against some market downturn. And one of the ways that you can do it, which is the conventional way of doing it, is try to identify when is the wrong time to be in the market and get out and move to cash. And this way, when the market does go down, you're protected because you're not invested in it. Uh, And I've personally tried that uh, several times, and, and what I found is that In order for that strategy to work, uh, not only do you need to know when to get out of the market, so you might be looking and saying the market's too high right now, but you have to make an equally important decision, uh, which is when to get back in. And what I found is that, that there, nobody, as far as I can tell, has consistently been able to make that decision. Not only want to get out, but if you don't think the market level today, 22,000, whatever it is, if you don't think that's, that's the right level, what is the right level? Is it 19.5? Is it 21? What if it never gets there? Are you always going to stay out? Uh, so to me, that, that, uh, that line of thought, it, it might be appealing intuitively, but when you look at the evidence, it doesn't seem that, that, that it would work very well. Uh, I think that that, uh, probably a different way to do it and and something that's, uh, in my opinion, more robust is try to protect yourself um, from the market, not necessarily by selling, uh, but also by uh, diversifying into other types of investments. Uh, Number one would be uh, probably bonds, Uh, and and bonds historically have have proven to be a a good ballast when the stock market uh, does decline. Uh, the second uh, possibility, are uh, international stocks, uh, because uh, they do uh, tend to move sometimes in loxes, but quite often, actually, they, they, they're not uh, uh, quite uh, that perfect correlated with the U.S. market. And the last one is to, uh, to do trim some gains. I think that, that when the market does go up, and I think this is uh, what an advisor does, and, 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 and Pure is certainly um, uh, really good at this, is when the market does go to all-time highs, to trim... Uh, some of the uh, asset classes, some of the, 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 the pieces of the portfolio that have run up, for example, the, uh, the U.S. Uh, uh, large cap uh, stocks, and then take that money and, and reinvest it into something that might be uh, at a lower valuation that might have gone down. Uh, so treat the market high as, as maybe as an opportunity to take some chips off the table and buy uh, other asset classes at, uh, at lower valuations.
1: Making trades based on politics or current events is not recommended, but being aware of what changing financial policy could mean to you is critical. President Trump is urging Congress to pass new tax legislation before the end of September. Visit the White Paper section of the Learning Center at YourMoneyYourWealth.com and download the White Paper Tax Reform Trump versus House GOP to find out how income tax, estate tax, and business tax could change. Are your tax strategies at risk? Get year-end tax planning tips that can help you stay on track in the midst of all this uncertainty. Download the Tax Reform White Paper to find out more. Visit the White Paper section of the Learning Center at YourMoneyYourWealth.com Welcome back to the program. The
2: show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson here, Big Al, Klopine. We're talking to Apollo from Dimensional Fund Advisors, DFA. Hey, you talked about international stocks. I mean, are there any particular situations or countries folks should be keeping a close eye on?
0: You know, it's it's interesting because these days there are quite a few of headlines that are, uh, you know, catching our attention. I mean, you have North Korea, you have all the other ones. That, you know, and then the, the real the question for an investor should I be doing something? I personally don't believe that investors should make any changes to their portfolios because of the, the, the what is going on in the world at any moment in time. And the reason for that is because there are thousands, or maybe tens of thousands, of professional market participants whose job every single day is to keep an eye on all these events and try to determine what is the impact of that event on the market. And even more specifically, because the market is a label, uh, it's, it's just a word that, that, that basically reflects thousands of individual companies, Uh, What is the impact of of North Korea and what is the impact of uh, whatever might be happening in the world, Venezuela? What is the impact on those particular companies? And it might sound cold-hearted, but what they're trying to answer is, if there's a conflict with North Korea, what would happen to the sales of Coca-Cola or McDonald's or uh, Apple or, or, or Toyota pickup trucks? If ISIS is defeated, what's the opportunity that that Syria and Iraq and maybe the Middle East would present? And that's what the the market's trying to do. And it's doing this every second with so many participants that as soon as something is coming out, it's news, it's information that that wasn't really known before, all these future expectations are adjusted. And they're adjusted so fast that by the time you're trying to do something as an individual investor, it's way too late.
2: I, I think that's such a good point because fear drives us to make these decisions. And so if you hear, oh my gosh, what's going on in North Korea? you know, the, the guy's a lunatic and we're going to go to war. It all of a sudden, you just seems like you isolate yourself, that you're the only one that that knows that information or or feels that. Now, right. Everyone else is feeling the same thing or knows the same information that you do. And in most cases, they know a heck of a lot more than you do, and right? <laughs> it, right? And, it, and it's already priced into those particular securities. So it's a point well taken, but it's hard to digest, I think, for an average investor.
0: It is hard because I think, you know, part of it is that there is a, you know, to a point, there's a big behavioral component to investing that, that, that drives decisions, and that's mostly the fear and the greed. But there's also this, this idea that, that, you know, that there's, I don't like to lose control. So, I, you know, if I can do something about it, let me do something about it. And the reality is that, that there's not much that you can do about it, that anybody can do about it. Um, and I actually look at the market and, and look at the market response because these are folks who have incredible resources, uh, incredible knowledge, much more so than, 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 uh, than any one individual as, as a whole. Um, and I look and what is their reaction. If they look and if, the, if I see the market dropping by, you know, 5,000 points, I might get a sense that, that, that the expectations that they have is that there will be something going on and that will have a dramatic impact on our lifestyle. But if I see that the market's going to up and down a little bit like usual, I, I think that the probability that these market participants assign to that outcome is quite low. Because nobody knows, I mean, I don't think anybody, even me with a crystal ball, <laughs> nobody knows exactly the future. Uh, but what you have is our different outcomes and different probabilities associated with those outcomes. Uh, and, and I think that, that what the market's telling you by the way it moves is that the probability associated with that particular event is quite low. If the probability changes, you know, obviously that, that, that might make the, uh, the market uh, uh, move.
2: You know, we're talking, I guess, North Korea and ISIS and other places besides the U.S. And I think a lot of investors still have a very strong home bias, right? Well, I mean, Alan, I look at thousands of portfolios, and I would say, you know, majority of the stock positions that they hold are here U.S., large company USA, you know, um, d- What would you, I guess, you know, does international investing make sense? Or how how do you educate, you know, to to make sure that, hey, you want to be a little bit more broader here, even though we're hearing some bad news, like with the Eurozone, you know, what's going on, right? With the UK, they get out. and You know, there's always been kind of this negative news over the last couple of years. You know, what, what advice would you give there? Or what statements would you say?
0: right it's definitely reasonable because i think that the the background of, of of investing was investing companies that you know uh and and what are the local companies that i know what do i shop and and that's been the almost again the conventional way that people have done it so there's a bias towards the companies that you that you know and love um what i would tell people is that that um that the world is a bit different today. It is a lot more integrated um, to look around and even what they have in their their, uh, pantry, what they have in their garage. Uh, so you know, in other words, if you are okay with buying craft food, uh, but you also have Nestle, well, what's wrong with buying both craft and Nestle, uh, not only in your pantry but also in your portfolio? If you have uh, GM and Ford as part of your uh, portfolio, why not consider BMW uh, or Toyota? So, in other words, in, intuitively, uh, you know, it is a global world, and there's a, a big opportunity set. But what I would tell people is that that um, the the, the The U.S. market, particularly the S&P 500, has done really well relative to international markets over the last decade. Uh, And uh, when that happens, people start questioning, why do I need all these international stocks when the U.S. has done so well? Well, I think that what I would tell people is that it is important to have U.S. stocks, no doubt about it. But it's also important to have international stocks because there are times when the U.S. market uh, might not do as well. And in fact, we don't have to go back longer than 2000 and 2009. Over that entire decade, uh, the U.S. uh, market, the S&P 500, had a negative uh, average annual return over the entire decade. It was actually dubbed the lost decade. Uh, but a globally diversified portfolio uh, would have had uh, positive returns. And, and you know, in a particular book that is that, uh, that, that, uh, being published it's called The Matrix Book, uh, the average annual return over the same period by being invested not only in the U.S. stocks but internationally developed and emerging is, is, is over 7%. So in those times, uh, those international stocks held you up. So to me, it's almost like it's a good news that the, the U.S. and the international stocks, they don't always move in lockstep. And, uh, and, and there will be times when the U.S. will hold up international stocks, but there'll be other times when international stocks uh, would hold up uh, uh, U.S. And the last point I'll make here is that whenever something goes down in value, um, I would look at it as an opportunity rather than a threat. So when you know, people are talking about U.S. market being at all-time highs, well, maybe this is a good time to look at, at, at some <laughs> asset class, some parts of the world that have gone down. So uh, particularly if you do it through a systematic process uh, and and, and you guys do it through something called rebalancing, I think that's actually really important because, uh, again, don't look at it uh, in a fearful manner, but look at it as an opportunity. Uh, And and in that respect, I absolutely think that that there is a role for um, international stocks.
3: Yeah, and it's not just domestic and international. There's different kinds of companies. There's smaller companies and larger companies. There's growth and value stocks. And can you sort of address maybe some of the differences in those? And and should you tilt your portfolio one way or another?
0: Right. Um, so w- what you're mentioning now is is uh, is part of the core research that's been done. Uh, in the academic community, and and that research has to do with uh, distinguishing between different categories of, of investments, different categories of stocks. So uh, to begin with, in terms of investments, we know that stocks and bonds uh, are different. One buys you ownership in companies. The other one is a form of lending. Uh, so when you buy ownership into a company, that's what it means to have a stock. Now, even as the market does a really good job in processing the information and assigning a particular fair value to, to what a stock is worth it, that doesn't mean that all stocks in the market have exactly the same uh, expected return going forward for an investor. Uh, and what the academic science has been trying to do, and in, uh, in Dimensional as well, is, is trying to identify these dimensions of – uh, expect returns uh, for stocks, and, and what we found is that that uh, there are three things that really matter when it comes to stocks. First is the size of the company. That uh, if you look at companies that are large, the jumbotron, well-known uh, companies that are in the Dow Jones or the S&P 500, those have a different investment uh, expect to return profile. Uh, from the smaller companies, and right now in the U.S. market, there are roughly about 2,000 of these smaller companies that are not part of the S&P, they're not part of Dow Jones, they're standalone. And historically, uh, these have had uh, a different uh, a return pattern to and different expected returns going forward than the large companies. So the, the first distinction is is small versus large, and it turns out that. Historically, the small company stocks have uh, had a better historical return, average average return, and, and, and also going forward, there's a higher expected return. Uh, the second characteristic is the price at which you buy uh, a company fundamental. It could be earnings, cash flows, uh, the book value. So how much are you paying, uh, for example, for a dollar in earnings or for a dollar in book value, for a dollar in cash flows? And, and, and it turns out that the companies that have a relatively low price, uh, they historically have had a higher return. So those are called the value stocks. Uh, and they, they, going forward, they tend to uh, have a higher expected return than the more expensive counterparts called the growth stocks. So we know that small company stocks, they, they, they historically have done better than large company stocks. We know the low price or value stocks is better than growth. And more recently, there was a third distinction being made, um, and that had to do with the profitability. And there's a you know specific way to define the profitability of a firm, uh, but but in that particular metric, uh, the companies that, that tended to be unprofitable, they continue that way. The companies that are profitable, they, they tend to continue to be profitable, and the return of these companies differed. The high profitability companies, they tended to have uh, higher returns than the, uh, uh, the low profitability. So... If you wanted to build a portfolio that exceeded the returns of what you would get in the S&P 500 which, or the Dow Jones, which are large companies, that's, that's all they are, then one way that you can do it is not just buy these large companies, but also uh, place an emphasis to some degree on the small company stocks, on value stocks, and, and uh, high profitability stocks.
1: We'll get back to our interview with Apollo Lupescu from Dimensional Fund Advisors in just a moment. But once the podcast is over, if you need more information on just about any financial topic you can think of, check out Your Money, Your Wealth and Pure Financial Advisors on YouTube for educational video clips and full episodes of the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show. We've got certified financial planner Jason Thomas on saving for college and understanding Medicare, attorney Nicole Newman on estate planning, Dr. Wade Fow on banking on your house and retirement, and many, many more. There are literally hundreds of videos to get you up to speed on just about every money topic that affects you Just search YouTube for pure financial advisors and your money your wealth and start binge watching with purpose Check back regularly because we're always adding new videos now back to Apollo.
2: I got a question for you I understand small versus large. Small companies, right, are the yeah, companies that, that you, is easy Right, understand. you never heard of. They're small, they're risky. Well, most small companies fail. So if you buy into a small company, yes, you should you know, you're taking on a heck of a lot more risk than if I bought a, a, a Walmart, right? Right. Okay, so then then I understand that. And Then I look at value. Okay, so I'm lower priced. I might be in a distressed industry at the time. I still might be profitable, but I'm um, but my price to cash flows is lower, um, or my price to the overall book value of my company is lower than um, than it had been. All right, so there's more risk there. So tell me, I don't understand the profitability. Where the, where's the risk story there? Because I understand that. All right. Well, yeah, highly profitable companies. Well, if they're already highly profitable, why would that give me a higher expected return? Throwing you on the spot here, Apollo. But
0: no, no, it's it's, it's a good question because it seems like the um, you know the, the intuition uh, to your point is is is. is you know, quite, quite simple on the, on the small company and the value side. this is intuitively, it seems like these companies, uh, for profitability doesn't seem as obvious. Why would I get paid more as an investor? Why would I have a higher expected return uh, as an investor in these, uh, highly profitable companies? And I think that, that, uh, there's several ways that, that, um, that, that you can look at this. The first one, is that that you have to look at profitability not in isolation, but also alongside with the other two factors. So given that a company is large, given that a company is, for example, expensive, let's say from a relative perspective, so you have a large growth asset class, within the large growth, the question is, are all these companies exactly the same? If you look at small growth companies, are they all exactly the same? And, and what you see there is that, that when you apply this profitability, uh, then then you do have a gradation there in, in terms of expected returns. But instead of saying that that the profitability is is you know uh, is something that that um, that is really I want to find a highly profitable. One of the things that, that you can also think about it is that the companies that are unprofitable, they tend to stay unprofitable for quite a while. So in other words, you might want to steer away from them rather than, than just saying, I'm going to shoot the lights out with a high profitability. Uh, so one way is to, is to put the shoe on the other foot and just saying these companies that are highly unprofitable, will they continue to stay that way? The second way to look at it is that uh, even as a company is profitable, the way that you can define risk is a little bit, sometimes a little bit more complicated. And it's not our, I think, uh, it's not as simple as as I personally thought to define risk, because there's so many ways that you can define it. Uh, But I agree with it. Intuitively, it doesn't seem like the risk is so clearly defined in the the profitability, but it is a form of risk. Uh, And... um, we don't have a chalkboard here, but there's 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 actually quite a, a, an elegant uh, math formula that that shows you exactly how profitability impacts the expected returns, given that he controls for uh, the size of the company and whether it's it's uh, um, a value or growth.
2: Because Big Al here, he's got a side business. He plays the ukulele on Saturday nights, <laughs> and it's a highly profitable company. I've never been paid. It's it's highly profitable. Still losing money. So people are paying a premium to see (laughs) Big Al in the ukulele. So I'm just referring back to my experience paying that high ticket item to see Big Al playing the ukulele. It's like, all right, Right. well, I got to pay a premium for this. Well, wouldn't the same would equate to a lot larger company if I was profitable? I would have to pay a premium to to get into that highly profitable company. So, but I think you kind of cleared it up. You know? So <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, so I, Apollo. So I'm, I, and I think the evidence certainly shows that smaller companies uh, outperform larger companies over the long term. But it doesn't happen every year, and 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 so the tendency then is, well, let's just load up completely on small companies. But then you got a volatility problem.
0: Well, and and on top of the volatility problem, uh, I think even a bigger issue is that you have a, a behavioral problem because most people when they hear just a framework uh, and they don't work with an advisor which i think is it's hugely important if you're going to implement this 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 type of strategy is that that you don't have your expectations managed properly, and a year goes by, and you see that small doesn't beat large, and value doesn't beat growth, and all of a sudden you say, "Well, baby, this doesn't work anymore," right. even though it's in line with historical patterns. I mean, historically, uh, if you look at these at these what's called premiums, which is the difference between large between small and large value growth, those have been present roughly about sixty percent or so in any given year these are rough numbers uh... in any given year which means that in any given years you have a four in ten chance of not to see it not seeing it so if your expectation going in is that this will be there every minute every year every quarter uh... and then it's not there for a year or two years or five years for that matter which is still in line with historical uh... uh data then all of a sudden you're kind of you you you'll break the discipline So I think it's hugely important for anybody who, uh, you know, who wants to do an investment system of this nature to work with an advisor because uh, there is a science to how you allocate between large, small value growth and then how do you maintain the discipline along the way. And what we found is that by far the most successful folks, you know, basically have a good understanding of the system and and they do work with an advisor.
2: You know, the discipline is, I think, so key. Um, I just read um, a, a quick article Uh, It was a survey done about 401k plans. And then they were looking at the trades within the 401k plans. And I guess July, um, it was like the lowest trades people made in their 401k plans in five years. But the trades that they did make, right? Where do you think most of the money flew into or went into? What asset class? Anyone want to take a guess?
0: Boy, I I wouldn't even, I I don't know. I mean, it's... uh... I'll 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 have the drum roll and you tell me. <laughs> I'll,
3: I'll guess S and P.
2: They went into number one was international. Okay. And number two would be what do you think? And it's not the S and P. Reach. Emerging markets. And why There's do you America. think that was the case? What is they, they, what is international and emerging markets up year to date?
3: Yeah, they've done well.
2: Up like yeah,
3: they, 25%. <laughs> so you're right? always chasing less. It,
2: that is the problem. It's like people, they, they don't even know what international, I mean, they just look at what's, what, what.
3: Oh, yeah, these stocks. I'm work. allocating
2: my 401k plan. <laughs> All right, what am I going to do here? I'm going to look at this year, the last nine months. What has the best performance? Oh, boom, 25%. That's where I'm going to allocate my money to, you know? So discipline is key, my friend. Yep, I also
0: think that that it's important for people to realize a little bit their uh, their limitations. I think that that uh, as a society we've you know we've encouraged people to believe that you can do it, you can do whatever you want, whatever you set your mind to, and which is absolutely true as long as you study enough and you work enough to become a true expert uh, in a particular field. And I think um, you know quite a bit of folks are, are better served by working with an advisor rather than. Than them, them believing that they are the experts. Where you know, if if you haven't studied enough, if if you're not not up to speed on on everything that's going on, and and you cannot control some of these behaviors uh, because of not having the information, uh, I think that that it's time to basically go and find yourself somebody who can help you.
2: We're talking to Apollo from Dimensional Fund Advisors. This is a lot better interview than uh, Madonna would have been, Apollo. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Prettier and prettier. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you, Apollo. I really appreciate your time. What are you going to do this uh, rest of the weekend here? You
0: know, it's kids. Kids, 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 kids. Uh, fun for the whole family.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's Apollo from Dimensional Fund Advisors. We've got to take a break. The show's called Your Money, or Wealth. <laughs>
1: So you're about to retire, you may not have enough saved, you may not even have a retirement strategy, and chances are what you think you know about retirement is dead. In a stress test, do you think that your portfolio and your retirement plan could stand up to record low interest rates, skyrocketing healthcare costs, market volatility, and possibly living to 90 or 100 years old? Or like Apollo mentioned earlier, are fear and greed the things that are driving your investing choices? Visit YourMoneyYourWealth.com and sign up for a free two-meeting assessment with A certified financial planner. There's no cost or obligation to you, and you'll learn highly effective strategies to transform your savings and income in retirement, minimize your risk, reduce your taxes, and help withstand today's challenges in a stress test. Sign up for a free two-meeting assessment with a certified financial planner at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Now, for the first time in a long time, we're taking your calls on Your Money Your Wealth. If you have a money question, call 888-994-6257. That's 8. 888-994-6257. You
2: know how many years it's been since we've taken uh, live phone calls? Uh, I, longer than I can remember. It's been a while. And why haven't we? Because we were afraid that we'd get stumped. Remember the Stump Big Al segment? Yeah, which never happened. Oh, come on. <laughs> one guy kept on asking like crazy questions, of, like of well, Iraqi dinar. I don't count that. Well, I do. <laughs> I, know you I absolutely do. <laughs> do. I think we have James on the line. James, welcome to Your Money or Wealth. Oh, uh, thank you so much
4: for having me. It's uh it's a great pleasure for me. I've been listening to your podcast for for a while now.
2: James, where are you from? Yardley, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. So about as
4: far in the country as I wow. could get from you guys.
3: All right. So our reach is all the way out to Pennsylvania. Man. That's cool. Well what uh, what do you got for us?
4: Well, it's, but my question is more of a strategy question, I guess. My wife and I, uh, after a couple years of trying, we are due for our second child early next year. And when we have the second kid in expected date of March, end of March of 2018, uh, she'll probably leave work at least for a little while, uh, and at least until 2019. Do you think it'd be a good idea to, or I was originally thinking that she could basically max out as much as she could her 401k contributions for January, February, March, probably getting something like 12,000 in of the 18k max. Or do you think it strategy wise, it would be better just to kind of keep that money kind of flowing in, getting it back into our bank accounts in case she's out for, of work longer than expected.
2: Let's start here. James, how old are you? 36. 36. All right. Tell me a little bit more about what, what's your income, what's your wife's income, roughly?
4: Uh, I'm the main breadwinner in the family. I uh, make about 140 before bonus. Next year, actually, uh, is the first year I'm going to be bonus eligible, so that will be a nice offset to losing her income. She makes uh dollars per year.
2: All right. And then right now are you maxing out your retirement accounts?
4: Uh this year will be the first year that we do so. Yep.
2: And how much do you have total in retirement accounts? Uh 415,000. Four hundred fifteen thousand and thirty-six. at 36. That's excellent. Big James <laughs> with the big wallet. Right. I like it. All right. Do you, uh, so is that all in 401k IRAs or do you have Roth IRAs as well?
4: Uh yeah, we have uh some in Roth uh but it's mostly 401k's and, and uh traditional
2: okay and then so your wife makes 46 she's gonna stop working and then you're going to be bonus eligible 140,000 bucks the question is all right well should she jam as much as she can in the three months that she's going to work into her 401k or just maybe have that go into cash tell me about what you have outside of retirement accounts do you have uh, cash reserves um, brokerage uh, accounts things like that
4: I, I'm not particularly. I haven't been very good about the, the taxable investments, but we have about $200,000 in, in cash. Uh, most of it is kind of set aside. I have one hundred and twenty set aside for a house down payment or for something like that. We're planning on uh, getting a house sometime next year, so it'll be, it'll be a big year for us next year. Um, but for emergency savings, we have 42 K already set aside. That's probably for us about six to nine months worth of expenses.
2: Okay. So what you're at about what? $90,000 living expenses.
4: Uh, yeah, that's including taxes. And for us, the big cost is daycare, which is pretty exorbitant where we are.
2: How long is your wife going to take off of work?
4: Well, our plan, I guess, is that, uh, she's going to, she can, she can get four months off but our plan is to move to another part of the state and so she would she would not be going back to work so that that's my concern because she would be Let's say she takes six months off, you know, to recover and to to bond. Uh, but after that, it might take another six months to find another job. She's in a somewhat specialized area of of higher education, working in financial aid. So, uh, it, it, I think it would be fairly difficult to find her another job in the same profession. So it, that might take a longer. My my expectation is that she would be out of work until at least early 2019.
2: Big Al, you have two kids. What's your advice? It's yeah, that's it's a great question,
3: James. So just listening, you've got we you have two hundred thousand uh, dollars in cash, although one hundred twenty thousand is earmarked for the house. But you also said you have about forty some thousand for emergency cash. Where's the other money, or what's what's the other money earmarked for? If I if I understood
4: uh, you right, if we need to buy another car, uh, there's okay. another. I also have another uh, twenty grand, or it's going to end up being twenty grand for uh, Roth IRA contributions. I tend to save ahead of time, so got I'll it. have the money for. Next year, what you know, uh, set up uh, for 2019, just in case you know we can't save as much okay. over the course of 2018.
3: Okay. And one other question: Any idea how much your bonus might be? Is a couple thousand dollars? Or are we talking no. ten, ten, twenty? Uh, it's
4: it's uh, it's uh, it. The, the it can be. I'm expecting it to be somewhere in the twenty to twenty eight thousand dollar range.
3: Got it. Okay. Okay, good. So here's what I might say. I do like the idea of potentially having her max out her 401k because you got so many cash reserves as well as uh, your your potential bonus. But you might want to take a look at your tax bracket because maybe you're in a low enough tax bracket. If she has a Roth option in her 401k, it might make sense to put it into the Roth side.
2: So there's a couple thoughts I had.
4: Uh, she doesn't, but I do. So that that's a good that's a good point. I'll, I'll definitely uh, think about that.
2: Because, well, next year, if she's not working, right, so then that's forty seven thousand less of income. So of course, Big Al goes to the tax implications of things. So, yeah, then that's gonna reduce your your taxable income to that um, component, but you're still making a buck forty. you got deductions now you got a couple of kids, a couple exemptions, things like that that could probably push you down you know into a lot lower bracket. Here's the thing though, right so now you're gonna buy a house. what's your rent right now uh twelve fifty and then when you how, how big a house are you gonna buy what what are you looking at purchasing
4: uh max uh four fifty so okay. uh all in probably. You know, probably jump up my housing payment from twelve fifty to like twenty five hundred ish.
2: Okay. So then now your living expenses will go from ninety to maybe a hundred? Does that seem right? Yeah. So now your living expenses are gonna go up, right? But now you're making a hundred forty plus the twenty eight thousand dollar bonus on top of that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think you got enough cash. There's some good cushion there. And then if she can you know, I, I, yeah, I think she should save. I agree with Al. Like, you know, if you can jam that in, if you only had like 5000 bucks in cash, I would say, yeah, for, no, you know, you got to build that up. But I think, you know, you, you're on the right path there. You got enough cash. You already have a really good savings in, in 401k dollars. At your age, though, now you have to look at, okay, tax diversification might be even a, a, a a key component, because what Al and I see are people then now in their 60s with several million dollars all tied up in a 401k plan that's going to be subject to ordinary income. So if your tax bracket's going to be lower next year because your wife's not working, she can then shelter maybe all of her, close to most of her income in those couple of years into a 401k plan, you still max out your plan, you do the Roth IRA contributions, and then you look at what tax bracket that you think you're going to be in. And then you might even look at doing some conversions along the way, you know. So
3: I, I agree with that too, and I think if you look at your tax bracket right now, probably with your deductions, it's you're going to be probably in the 25% federal tax bracket, maybe close to the 28% bracket based upon your spending. And I know you're you're young, but if we just sort of project things forward, you'll probably be in a similar tax bracket in retirement, particularly with your savings rate. So then it's like, well, maybe that tax versus diversification would make sense. Getting money to the Roth IRA contributions, as you're already doing, or looking at the Roth option uh, in, in in at least your plan, James, might make a lot of sense.
4: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
2: What else do you got for us? Anything?
4: No, that's it. Thank you. You guys have, been, uh, you guys have uh, given me a lot to think about. I really appreciate it.
2: All right, James. Hey, man, we really appreciate your call. Thanks for listening. That's James. Good job, Big Al. Yeah, that was fun. You're kind of, you just went right to the taxes. Just right to it, huh? You didn't, like, you didn't care about anything else with the Be- guy's tax Because bracket. he's got a lot of cash reserves. I know. That's pretty impressive. James is on it's, top of it. It's, uh, he beats us, doesn't well, he? Well, you look at it, he's 36 years old. Right. Yeah. So he just blew up our whole first segment. <laughs> That young, I told you somebody well, says You're know, 36. I mean, I'm four years older than I'm. Or actually, six you're, years you're older. Like almost 10. <laughs> oh, whatever. I'm not even close to 10 years older than James. I said almost. Yes. Right. But yeah. No. I, you know, he's got 400 thousand dollars saved, and then he's got another 200 thousand dollars. It's impressive. He's got 600 thousand bucks. He was making a buck forty. You know so I mean, I that's mean, almost you, you, five times his income at age 36 that's pretty good. You just do the math and
3: and in I mean if he just keeps going ahead to, let's just say age 65 without even my financial calculator that's millions in a 401k at that point.
2: Exactly, right? And then making that type of income he's going to have fairly large social security. Mm-hmm. So his retirement track looks pretty good, but you know the caveat now you got two kids. Now you got daycare Right. And so you're going to have to juggle a little bit, and maybe his savings is going to go down in the future. It may. Right. Because then you've got college education that you need to start yes. thinking about. Then you have, you know, private schools or whatever that, that, that their goals are that they wanted to do. So if they have the ability to save now, it's always the time value of money and just get it in, forget about it because you do have other resources. But in the future, he might have to tone down his savings. And I I think he'll still be in a really good spot.
3: Well, and the other thing that can happen and often does, Joe, is his wife, maybe she has trouble getting a job. and, And it's like, well, I'd rather be with the two kids anyway. Anyway right so james why don't you work and why don't you and so then they may have less income from that so th- and and then they're buying a house at the same time which uh, oftentimes is more expensive right you got to upgrade right so, upgrade so it's, and it's and it's it it kind of goes to show where when when we talk about planning strategies it's not just one and done right it's it's this is what makes sense maybe right here right today but in 6 months to a year maybe something
2: has to change because life changes exactly so it's like all right well here if you do reduce your overall sales, savings what is that going to have on the full impact of your overall retirement given the fact that hey you're in your mid 30s and you've already accumulated you know two times more than people in their 60s right right and then you just have the compounding of that making sure that it's invested appropriately we didn't you know get into that at all um, but i'm sure james listens to the show he's you know he's, hopefully. More, he's globally diversified yes. And, yes, you know he's tilting his portfolio towards <laughs> small in value did oh, in our last segment <laughs> yes. yes right so
1: Okay, so now that you've heard how it's done, it's your turn. If you've got a burning financial question for Joe and Big Al, just call 888-994-6257 for a chance to talk to the fellas and have your question answered during Your Money, Your Wealth. That number again is 888-994-6257. 888-994-6257. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture. Point format this week. Six last-minute retirement planning strategies. We're just super busy today. We,
3: I
2: know. Usually we get to this much We got sooner. callers. We got Apollo. We're but... having
3: some fun today. But I, uh, Joe, I got. I was looking for a cool list for this week, and I found one. I think it's. It says it's not too late. Six last-minute retirement planning strategies. Started reading it, and I thought, "Oh, this is pretty good stuff." And then I looked at the author, Brian Perry. Who is an employee of ours? Wow! And I—he's new new employee. He's been with us what three or four months, something like that. And uh, and he's an author. And so I went. I said, "Is is this you?" And I figured it was because his first example is quoting a CFP in the San Diego area. So I thought that was a pretty good clue right there. Who's the CFP he quoted? Uh, not Joe Anderson. Fired. It was, it was <laughs> Michael Shanahan. Mike Shanahan. Yeah, I don't know him. Yeah. I don't know. Um, But uh, he did tell me that this article was written about five years ago. I guess it just got recycled. It's 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 an oldie but goodie because it just got republished on August 28th. 2017. But the, the list, I thought Brian did a great job, if I do say so myself. And uh, so there is a few things that, uh, that you may want to think about if you're in your 50s or 60s or late 40s and behind the eight ball, which I think probably a lot of us, maybe the majority of us are feel, even, even if we've done a good job, we, we always feel like, gosh, I could have done better. What can I do to speed things up and to make things better? Maybe I'm 50. Maybe I haven't done anything or just a little bit. And it's like, well, I know I'm going to have to retire someday. So so now what? So he came up with six uh, different ideas. And uh, the first one is called Save Like Crazy. Save Like Crazy, what he says, financial professionals recommend that you save 15% uh, or more of your income throughout your career and retirement. But you know what? If you're 50 and you don't have anything, You might want to really try to accelerate that quite
2: a bit. You know, saving cures all, and I know we kind of joke about this, but it doesn't... You know, so many people fret about, oh my gosh, you know, what's going on in the markets and oh, this and that. I mean, those people that are... Because they're they're not saving enough. Right. So they're always worried about what little they have. Right. They might lose a dollar. Yeah. Well just keep throwing money at it. That's your cure. Throw <laughs> that, money, that, throw money, throw money at it. Do whatever you possibly can. Right. If you're in your fifties and sixties a little and I get it, things are tight and you yes. can't but you just have to start, you know, you know putting things through the asset test. And, and what is the most important part right, of this? Joe,
3: not everyone realizes how much you can save in retirement plans. And if you have a 401k or a 403b, it's $18,000 is the amount this year. And if you're 50 and above, it's another $6,000 catch-up. So it's $24,000. And then you could also contribute to an IRA or Roth IRA. That's another $5,500 plus the $1,000 catch-up, 6500 So $30,500 is, is actually what you can put into retirement plans. And I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not saying it's easy at all. Right. But the thing is, if you are um, making a pretty good income and have very little to save, this is not sustainable. So you better make some spending changes right now because otherwise you'll get to sixty-five, seventy, still have not very much. And now you're going to be living on Social Security, which I, I got to tell you is probably 30% of your income. So now, then you're going to be forced to cut back then. Right, and then of course with the 401k, 403b, a lot of times you have matches. Brian Perry did a little math here. He said start at 50. You max out the the 401k, right? The the IRA, thirty thousand five hundred dollars, six percent total rate of return. Yeah. Uh, one point one million by age 70. Wow, boom, right yeah. there. Yeah, and I did I checked the math. He was correct. Good. Yeah, Good.
2: fact check. <laughs> <laughs>
3: another one is take number 2 take more risk and this is particularly for those extremely conservative investors that just they can't handle any risk they have they have all their money in CDs even in their retirement accounts right and and the thing is with with your money in in very safe let, let's just start with CDs for example we they tend they, the rate of return in a in a certificate of deposit doesn't even match up with inflation and so if there's, if there's any guarantees in investments, that would be one. You're guaranteed to lose with a CD because it doesn't keep up with inflation, which means, yes, you have more money each and every year, but it doesn't keep up with the purchasing power that you'd actually use that money for. No
2: comment? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Number three. <laughs> no, I got blown up on the email. Did you read that email that guy you sent? He's like, hey, why don't you let Big <laughs> L talk? Who the hell's Joel? Anyway... <laughs> Guy talks too much. No, he said you got to let poor Al talk. Oh, come on, <laughs> whatever.
3: <laughs> so you let me talk. Yeah, I'll let you okay, talk, man. It's your this, show. It's, your, this, it's a second. big Al hour. All right. Number three is delaying your retirement, and so, so we've talked about this yeah. a lot. But... just
2: re- hitting the levers, right? You know, save yeah. a little bit more, delay because your Social Security goes up. You're not taking money from the portfolio. Yeah, I mean, working, th- and that's one that people I think overlook,
3: right? Because it's it's like well. What's the difference between whether I retire at 64 or 66? Well, it turns out a lot, right? Because those extra couple years or three years or five years, first of all, you're saving during those years, right? So you're adding to your portfolio. And, oh, secondly, you're not taking money out of your portfolio. So it's kind of a double benefit. And then, oh, you probably postpone your Social Security two, three more years, which means you get a higher benefit for life. Right? A lot of really good things happen by waiting. Huge.
2: Uh, yeah, but I get it. Hey, I'm burnt out. I want to get out. you got to do the numbers. you got to run the math.
3: Yeah, you do. Okay, so now <laughs> the next one is uh, spending less in retirement. Right? I mean, and, and again, this is realistic, right? If you are at age 50 with nothing saved, then this is an option. And, and really, the truth is it's probably a combination. Of, of all these things together but uh, it's it's that situation and we see this all Here, the- here's
2: what my advice is right so let's say I'm in my 50s and I haven't saved anything all right here's what you do you go to ssa.gov all right you following this this is the strategy I want people to do yeah go to Social Security administration find out what you believe your social security benefits are going to be at age full retirement 67 66 and whatever months. Okay, let's say it's $24,000. So that's $2,000 a month. So for the next month, only spend $2,000. That's it. And see how enjoyable your life is by just spending $2,000. You're going to, you know, because if you don't save, that's the rest of your retirement. That's it. Yeah. So push your, put yourself through misery for one month. If it's that bad, just think of the next 30 years of your retirement is going to be that bad. Save.
3: That's, that's actually a really good point. And that was actually the very last point of this article, which is uh, the suggestion, determine how much money you'll be receiving in social security pensions, dividends and interest from investments and then try to live on that for two years. This is two years prior to retirement. Same idea, but in other words, you practice retirement before you actually retire and see how this works. How many times do people retire without even thinking about this? Yeah. And then it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a complete nightmare. Because it's like, whoa, wait a minute, I thought these were the golden years, and we we're going to be able to spend all this money, and Social Security was going to do this, and I got a little pension, and I, I, I saved, I saved a couple hundred thousand dollars, why can't I spend a hundred thousand a year? Right. It's like it just doesn't, the math
1: doesn't
4: the work math, out.
2: Yeah, it's all arithmetic, all you got to do is do a little bit of math, and hopefully this will encourage you to kind of get your planning in order.
1: It's time to dip into the email bag with financial questions courtesy of Advisor Insights from Investopedia and you, the Your Money, Your Wealth listeners. Joe and Big Al are always willing to answer your money questions. Email info at purefinancial.com or send your questions directly to joe.anderson at purefinancial.com or Ellen.clopine at purefinancial.com. Today's emails are about how you know you're ready to retire, and Medicare will play an important part in your retirement plans. If you or someone you know is turning 65, it's time to start navigating the Medicare. So you can choose the right plan for you at the right cost. The Understanding Medicare video series featuring certified financial planners Joe Anderson and Jason Thomas is available free on demand at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Learn the basics of Medicare, how to bridge the gap to Medicare, and 11 common Medicare mistakes to avoid. Just visit the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to watch the Understanding Medicare video series free on demand. But boom
2: Let's see here. When should I retire is the heading of this email. I have $1 million in my 401k and I'm 48 years old. My wife and I have a $550,000 house paid off with no debt. We have $200,000 in CDs and cash. I have a pension that I will receive $1,200 per month for life. Currently, I max out my 401k plan. We save $35,000 per year on top of both of our 401ks. Wow, okay. My wife is 50, and she also maxed out her 401k, but her plans are to retire at 52. Okay. My question is, can I or should I retire? Well, we did well, really get Well, one, one of the biggest... <laughs> components of this whole equation is missing
3: yeah it's like uh yeah we have to know how much you're spending if you're spending a dollar a year yes tomorrow if you're spending a million dollars a year no not so much
2: all right so let's do this so he's 48 he wants to retire she's going to retire in two years let's just say he retires at 50 she retires at 52 so they're maxing out 401k plans all right, so they got a million bucks in 401k plans. He's gonna add another 40,000 bucks, call it, right? And then yeah. she's gonna add another 50,000 to her 401k plan. Right. Right, so let's just call it another $100,000 in the old 401k plans. Okay. So that's 1.1, 1. 1, call it?
3: Yeah, 1.1 1. 1 million. All
2: right, and then they got 200 in CDs, so that's cool. And then they also are saving $35,000 on top. So you're looking at, we'll just round that up to 300. So now, they, now they got about 1.4 million. All right, so 1.4 million. His pension at 1,200 dollars per month. I'm assuming that's not going to be able to be collected until at least full retirement age. That's the assumption.
3: Yeah, that could be over 62 anyway. Right. So that's about 14,000 per year.
2: Okay, and then Social Security's. Let's call it, you know, maybe a couple thousand bucks for each of them.
3: Yeah, if they're well, of course. Again, we don't know what they're spending. Well, for, nor if their they're salary. saving
2: that much, they must be making over probably, yeah, probably the so. max. So
3: if they, if they both, well, if they both take it at full retirement age, it will be around thirty grand each, something like that.
2: All right. So the problem is he's he's going to retire at fifty.
3: I know, right? That is the problem. So let's just let's just look at it right now. You got one point four million, and Joe, let's say if you're retiring at fifty, you probably only want to pull out about three percent of your portfolio. Maybe I would say that's a pretty yeah. good number. Yeah. So so we're looking at uh, what about forty two thousand, something yeah. like that, is what he could spend. So if you can do that, All right. But here, here's the problem, though, it, it, among other things, is now you're going to have to pay for your own medical insurance. For the next fifteen years, that's going to cost you thirty-two thousand a year. Right. <laughs> there you go. Can you live on twelve, a uh, ten grand? <laughs> so I guess without knowing the spending, maybe you just do the math that way. Just, just okay. Well, here's here's this here's here's your budget, and this has to include everything. I mean, utilities, food, vacation, clothes, medical, med- medical insurance, medical costs, whatever they may. Be, you know, we don't know whether they have kids or not, and college and there's 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 a lot. And and herein lies the the difficulty of retiring young because there there it's before pensions, it's before social security. Uh, your life expectancy at age fifty is probably forty years plus, which is lovely. But to it's finance a, it is it's tough. A, yeah, it yeah, blows it is, is tough.
2: Yeah, the whole fire movement. You know what that is? No. Financial independence, retire early. Got it. Okay. like and it. So, so, um, yeah. I mean, some people, I'm saving 70% my income. Right. I'm like, how, the, how do you do that? That's crazy, huh? <laughs> That's pretty good. That's solid. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just thinking, man, I mean, after taxes, yeah, I don't know. If you live in California, it's pretty hard to save 70% of your gross income.
3: Yeah, maybe they're in the Midwest or something yeah, where it's a little I, cheaper.
2: Yeah, you, you, I, I think seventy percent of net income is achievable. Now, if you lived with, like, how about you? If you lived with your mom,
3: you could. I do, do live it. with
2: my mom, but unfortunately, I pay the bills. <laughs> I think it's the
3: other way around. I think she kind of lives with you, only only during uh, vacation. Which, yeah, I live
2: with my mother. Which I'm 43 lost. years old, <laughs> single, and I live with my mother. Well, your your home is her her uh, winter home, but because I am she's in Minnesota. Six foot four, 212 pounds. I can bench press about 275. I, I'm not even listening. All I heard is you live with your mother. <laughs> Some people have called me handsome, but I do live with my mother. <laughs> in the basement and if you want Joe's
3: phone number then look me up at purefinancial.com and uh, you can email me
2: oh god life is so you got got another question I do okay I do (laughs) I was gonna say something stupid I'm just gonna follow the script here okay good All right, so let's do this what is the right amount to save when aiming for a certain retirement goal All right, I guarantee you we will not have enough information. That's why we're going back to calls. (laughs)
3: Because we can ask questions. Because we can
2: ask questions. These emails are great. They're fun, but it's like...
3: We have to
1: make make some.
2: Yeah, we got to make half the stuff up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 58 years old. Okay. Earning $100,000 per year and have investments in multiple retirement accounts totaling $686,250. Detailed. I like it. I'm retiring at the age of 65... I'm currently investing $16,000 per year in my accounts. Okay. I project to have 848819 in my <laughs> retirement accounts at age 65. Let me guess. He's an accountant. I will be collecting $2,200 in Social Security when I retire. Nice. I also do not own my um, home due to my divorce. How much money will I need to hit my projection? Should I be saving more? What's this projection? I project to have eight hundred forty-eight thousand eight hundred nineteen in my retirement accounts at age sixty-five. So we we still don't know spending now, right? No, of course not. Well, uh, so do you have a Do you get your a little HP twelve C? Yeah, I can. I got an HP on my phone. All right. So do this with a present value okay. of six hundred eighty-six thousand two fifty. I'm just gonna go six eighty-six. Okay.
3: <laughs> what are, what are you doing?
2: All right, we're, I'm, I'm going to see how much thing. money he needs to save. We're going to sell for payment.
3: Okay. Oh, to get the 848?
2: Yeah. Okay. So 686 is 8, the present 8, value. 848. 848 is
3: the future value. Zero will do 6%, I want to say. Yeah, let's say. And then and you we'll got seven years. Seven years. Okay, right. So the payment is... Uh... Uh, I did something wrong here. It came out to be a large number, didn't it? Yeah. I forgot to put a negative sign on this one. Hold on here. Twenty-two thousand a year. So, so it's so, even sixteen, a little short. Well, sure, needs needs to needs to approach a couple thousand per month.
2: What about seven percent? Okay. That's highly unlikely in seven years to get seven percent. Well, it's possible. It's possible. Yeah, not probable. Compliance. Um,
3: <laughs> it's it's like twenty-one thousand eight hundred. Didn't change it that much. Okay.
2: Well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you're on the right track. Sixteen thousand. Got to say a little bit more. And I'm not sure where he came up with this projection of eight hundred forty-eight thousand eight hundred nineteen dollars.
3: Well, that's I guess that's what he felt he needed to cover his lifestyle.
2: Well, what is it? What? Uh, tell me more.
3: <laughs> right. So just like you said, we have to make up stuff. So, um, so let's say uh, let's say eight fifty. So probably at sixty-five. Four percent. Are you comfortable with four percent? Yeah, three yeah. and a half, four. Yeah, I think is so. Easier at four. I, I think so too. So it's so four percent of 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 a million is forty thousand. So let's say it's about thirty-five. Th- yeah, just r- roughly. Sure. And then his Social Security, twenty-two hundred a month, so that's about twenty, Seven. twenty-seven, twenty-eight, I don't know, something like that. So, so we're looking about um, sixty grand, a little over sixty grand of income. So yeah, if you can live off of that, and at sixty-five you got your Medicare covered, uh, so you, you'll still have some supplemental insurance costs. So in, uh, health insurance is not free, but it's definitely uh, cheaper than when you're sixty-two, 62, 63, and trying to pay for this yourself. So yeah, if you can, if you can cover um, your so lifestyle, what's the
2: number 60 grand? 60 grand, so he's making 100 now and he's saving 16. That's
3: with his taxes, that's probably pretty close. Pretty close, yeah. I mean, just just kind of ballpark, you know, ballpark. I would yeah. say,
2: yeah, he's 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 within 10 grand, yeah, yeah. I would say, right, five, yeah. 500 to a thousand dollars a month, yeah. differential,
3: you know, and, and and something else that, um. I was going to talk about on the list, uh, but I, but we didn't have time, uh, is when you do retire, sometimes working part time just to supplement things a little bit can make a big difference. Right.
2: If he, let's say it makes 15,000 bucks a year, Mm -hmm. 12,000, a thousand bucks a month. Yeah. That covers
3: it. Yeah. It covers it is right. So, I I mean, where he at, where he's at right now, it's probably pretty close. I mean, I rounded a whole bunch of stuff. So 60 to 65, but yeah, he's pretty close. and then and then of course it's just a matter of if, if he's not quite if there's a little gap there, you can work part time to fill that gap or you can cut spending a little bit or maybe uh let's see, did he say he didn't talk about it whether he had a home or not, did he?
2: He does not have a home.
3: Does not. Does not have a home. No. So we can't do the old reverse mortgage or anything. Yeah, like that. that
2: rent might kill him too. Go up with inflation. Yeah. People don't get that. Yeah. I've run projections, right? Yeah. Should I buy a home or not buy a home? You know, I'm I'm sixty. Right. Right. What do you think? Should I rent? Right. I mean, depends on what you want to assume for inflation on your rent. Yeah, right? Because when you buy the home, it's fixed. It's fixed. Yeah. Who cares if you got a big fat mortgage on it? The payment is fixed. Payment's fixed. 20 years later, it's the same payment. Same payment. 20 years later, your rent payment's not going to be the same.
3: Correct. Right. And you got a tax deduction currently on the home mortgage on the interest part. And, uh, you know, in some cases, people are now getting 15-year mortgages. You get it paid off in 15 years or 20 years or whatever, and then you don't have a payment after that.
2: Well, everyone doesn't have the big wallet, Al, to do a 15-year mortgage. But they should. <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of – I'm i'm in the – well, why don't you call your boy up that was selling all that stuff on our program a couple weeks ago. Oh, that guy. <laughs> he was selling, oh, okay. what, debt consolidation? Yeah. Was was... like <laughs> – <laughs> right. Well, he, he, you could pay off your mortgage in like seven years. forty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of a convoluted
3: thing. It it, it kind of had a savings account along with the mortgage, and yeah, you, it was all
2: smoking. And years.
3: you just kept anytime your pay, your paycheck came in and went into the mortgage and saved interest. And, and then, then
2: when every time you took money out, it was a he mortgage. <laughs> it's like wow.
3: That's uh, you know it's interesting. You don't hear much about that because. It's probably
2: doesn't work very well. Exactly. <laughs> if it was so good, why wouldn't everyone do it? Yeah. Well, it's a very little known secret that you could pay your mortgage off in like you know six years. Right. I I got a one point two million dollar mortgage. I make one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. How am I going to pay that off? And live? <laughs> oh, easy. Right. You could do this in seven years. You can do it in seven years. That's <laughs> that it. Cat can do it. Yes. <laughs> for Big Al Clopine, I'm Joe Anderson. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week right here. Show's called Your Money, or Wealth.
1: So to recap today's show, save, 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 save. Early, often, and ASAP. And it's easier when you're young, just like having your wisdom teeth pulled and all the cool kids are doing it. Saving, that is, not having your teeth yanked out of your head. Anyway, special thanks to our guest, Apollo Lupescu from Dimensional Fund Advisors, who taught us don't trade based on current events, protect yourself from market downturns with diversification, work with a financial planner to avoid letting your emotions run the show, and get yourself a Dutch electric razor to maintain your crystal ball. Subscribe to the podcast at YourMoneyYourWealth.com through your favorite podcatcher or on iTunes, where you can also check out our ratings and reviews. And remember, if you've got a burning money question for for Joe and Big Al to answer on Your Money, Your Wealth, email info at purefinancial.com or call 888-994-6257. We may even have you live on the air. Listen next week for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investor are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Your Money, Your Wealth opening song, Motown Gold by Carl James Pestcutt is licensed under a Creative Commons license.